Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Ryan is right there. What had you so delayed? Uh, the trams are all are an absolute mess at the moment. The M10 all over the show. Everyone in Germany is on strike this week. Yeah, yeah, it's fucked up. Are they? Yeah, yeah. There have been a lot of trains. Public transportation has been crap for the last, I would say, two weeks. It's amazing how entitled Berlin has made me in terms of public transport. Yeah. Though, yeah. normally, like where I'm from, you wait twenty minutes for a bus. Mm-hmm. Don't even think about it here. It's like three minutes. What am I going to do for three minutes? <laughs> yeah. mm. It's a disgrace. I get really angry as well. I can feel my blood boiling. <laughs> this, is, this is how you become German. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Being totally Germanized. I've never seen Dan angry. Well, don't be a train that's late and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see it though. It's a sort of social experiment about what he's like. It takes a lot, it takes a lot, but yeah, it's happened. What would be the sort of the smallest thing that could push you over the edge? Mm. Like, for example, if uh, if I didn't put like the toothpaste back in the place where the toothpaste could, could, should go, would that sort of thing push Well, you? I live with a very messy girlfriend, so I've sort of got used to that sort of stuff, really. That, that's uh, water mm. for ducks back to me. Does she listen to the podcast? She does, yeah. She, does she know she's messy? Yeah, like, she knows, okay. she knows. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so that, that sort of thing, do you have anything then that would really push um, you over the edge? What really grinds my gears? Have you ever seen some uh, you? Users commenting, readers commenting back to Dan on Twitter. No. Oh, maybe. Do you get I've, a lot of stick? Uh, not a lot. No, I've, I've angered a few people f- <laughs> in my time. Yeah. Mm. But, but you were quite okay about it. It's yeah. Well, relaxed, yeah. So. Part, part well, that's what I'm it. saying. He's so calm. That's why I would like to see him actually get angry. <laughs> okay. Maybe you can think about it. Yeah. And if you think of something that makes you angry. I'll just burst out with it. Yeah. 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 War. War and poverty. (laughs) That sort of What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, joining me, Ian McCord, on today's One Football Podcast is Dan Burke. Hello. Danny Isroff. Hello. And Andre Gonzalez. Hi. Keep all the questions coming in. The, co- the address for that is podcast at onefootball.com. And it's with a listener's email where we start today. My name is Wesley Glenn and I'm from Kentucky. Doubt Andre knows where that is. Wesley goes on to ask a question, but we're not really interested in that. What <laughs> is, is this? This is Kentucky in the US? Yeah. I don't think there's another Kentucky, Kentucky is there? Yeah. We have listeners in well, Kentucky. I have no idea why. Well, uh, yeah, why I'm, I'm he, interested to know why, why these did you pick me? shots fired. Andre. Uh, I'm, I'm actually quite good at geography, uh, so <laughs> I don't see it coming. True. And uh, um, I know where Kentucky is because uh, I right used, up there beside California, right? <laughs> I used to watch um, a TV show um, named Justified, and it was shot in Kentucky and uh, between Lexington and a made-up county called Arlen. That's interesting because I've actually been to Kentucky, believe it or not, and I have no idea where it is. <laughs> but it, I'm really happy there's there's. And you're some, a New Yorker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm really happy. That's that why, actually. <laughs> some people from Kentucky interested in, in, in football besides, you know, the usual things like weed and math. So. <laughs> Jesus, Andre. Wow. I'm fried chicken. Don't forget that. I'm fried chicken, yeah. I've never eaten KFC. What? Never. That's mental. Not no, once in my life ha- have KFC chicken huh. passed my you lips. Never, you never wow. I never had it either. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Join the club. Yeah. Great. Well, it's really weird. It's like a 50%. In yeah. this uh, in this podcast, fifty percent never tried. KFC. What were you doing in Kentucky? I was uh, interning one summer for a, an internet um, broadcasting <laughs> company that went, for went, went bust pretty quickly, <laughs> and for for reasons that I still don't understand, I managed to swindle myself into a trip to Kentucky, okay. and we went out there and. 
spoke to people. I didn't do much where, else. Where to, where to, where to. Yeah, I think it was Lexington, Lexington, I believe. But it's hard to tell because I, I think they all it all kind of looks pretty similar. I hmm. don't want to diss the bluegrass state. But I tried to Google a couple of interesting facts and I actually couldn't find one whatsoever. <laughs> They're good at um, uh, horses. Uh, they have yeah, like they the Kentucky Derby. Derby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so is Ireland. I mean, <laughs> don't see here us bragging about it. Anyway, so Liverpool did it. A 1-0 win over Napoli sees them through to the next round. Dan and Danny, you both watched this. Mm. What did you make of it? I was surprised that it was a 1-0 win for Liverpool, actually. Oh. I was a bit disappointed with Napoli in the second mm-hmm, half. They mm-hmm. just they didn't seem to be much urgency to the play. It was like, you know, a couple of games ago, I think Carlo Ancelotti said, um, if we don't go through now, this position we're in, we're, we're assholes, was his exact words. Really? And they, they didn't go through, and they, they sort of looked like they just didn't have much fight in them in that, aside from a sort of late salvo where they, they nearly scored at the end there. Mm-hmm. It was it was a bit weird that the game just kind of passed them by. So Danny, Liverpool deserved winners then? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they, they could have easily had a second goal on a number of occasions, but actually it was an interesting situation because the second goal wouldn't have changed yeah, exactly. anything. Yeah. Napoli yeah. still would have gone through just, just by scoring one. Um, but they, they were the better side. I think Dan's completely right. Napoli just kind of weren't up for it in a strange kind of way. And Liverpool were super up for it. Uh, very, very busy, very aggressive. And, and they were the better side, yeah. Um, that midfield trio, Henderson, Milner and Vinaldum, there's <laughs> a lot of talk around them. Pace yeah. wouldn't be their thing. No, I mean, I think if Liverpool ever realise that Jordan Henderson's trash, then the rest of Europe's <laughs> in a bit really of trouble, good. aren't they? Because I, I don't rate him at all. I think he's got the turning circle of a HGV lorry, hasn't he? He, he <laughs> just he just doesn't offer very much apart from a bit of leadership in the middle of the park. The, the whole thing's really bizarre, and I was actually speaking to my Liverpool supporting fan, uh, Scruffy, and I think it's a lot of credit to Jurgen Klopp because he's managed to turn uh, Henderson, Milner and Wijnaldum into a, a real machine and an actually a good midfield and just down the road you have Mourinho who's turned like Pogba, Fred and Matic into the three blind mice so it's, it's really it, he, it's, it, it speaks to, to Klopp's ability to create a system and plug players in versus uh, they have some clearly much more talented midfielders on the bench actually mm. But they keep getting away with it with yeah. these three. Yeah. Um, that's save from Allison. Some are calling it the best save they've ever seen. <laughs> Others might call it the worst miss they've ever nonsense. seen. Nonsense. I mean, it, it just it just hit him basically, didn't it? I mean, you could say <laughs> positioning is a factor there; it's a good positioning. But he's in the middle of his goal. That's where a goalkeeper should be. I think it's, it'd be more remarkable had he not saved that, wouldn't it? It's not a great save at all. It's just it was just God. you know. Right I think, place I in think the it was place. hating on Allison. Well, had a, a better save. Um, I think it was Sadio Mane who missed it and was being had a great save like I don't know maybe 10 minutes before that one mm. and uh, Sadio Mane missed a lot of goals by the way yeah he did he, yeah. it was um, particularly uh, clumsy during during the game but that was been a save it was probably as good as the uh, Allison one Gary Neville was talking about Allison the other day and uh, said he's Liverpool's most influential signing I would say second to Van Dyke personally. Yeah, well, the, the common the common theory is that it is Van Dyke because yeah. he marshals the defence, etc. But when you think of the upgrade, you know, oh, from Carrius yeah. and whoever else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you said I was hating on Allison. I actually think he's a brilliant goalkeeper, one of the best, if not the best, in the world. I just don't think that save was a particularly brilliant example of of oh. how good he is. Really, okay. did you see the save Edison made for City last night? By the way, I did. That was a save. I didn't. I, I was actually watching. Uh, <clears throat> I was actually watching MasterChef. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I missed that on that one. Uh, I mean, it could have been a lot different. We speak of Van Dyke. It could have been a lot different if he'd seen red and he should have seen red 
I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence. Like oh. it, it looked really bad you know, on the replay in real time. It almost looked to me. Who was it? It was Mertens, right? Yeah. It almost looked to me like Mertens put his own foot in the path of Van Dyke's tackle. But then you see it on the replay, and it is you just can't kind of do that in the game anymore. He's clearly got the ball, but he's gone right through and put his studs in. I think it, it in most cases in the in the modern game, that's right. It was a, yeah. a tackle straight straight out of the nineties. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't belong in modern football anymore. Do you not think so? Yeah. I, I think with tackles like that, it's by the letter of the law, it probably is a red card. But I yeah. think a yellow card was a sensible decision because I don't think there was any sort of malicious intent behind it. It was a very, you know, it was made in good faith to tackle. It looks great. But it was super dangerous. Yeah. Super dangerous. I mean, made in good could, faith. That's. But yeah. you could you could make you could break someone's leg with a perfectly fair. That was not safe tackle. Perfect tackle. You don't it was think far so. from being a perfect tackle. It was really dangerous. What it what he did. Well, I didn't think it was that bad. Okay. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. Too bad, bad tackles. I'm sure Mertens is a little bit sensitive yeah. about it as well. Um, question for you, Dan. Is there any sense in thinking this is a bad thing for Liverpool? They've got that... 28 years of hurt to get over yeah. and now they're you know they're through to the next round Could maybe be, that yeah. distracts them they don't have the deepest squad in the Premier League do they and, it's, and the injuries it's, are mounting up for them now exactly yeah and you know no one it's very rare that someone in England wins the Premier League and the Champions League in the same season now so it sort of stands to reason that, that, that there is a distraction element to it I was as a Man City fan quite happy that Liverpool stayed in the Champions League for that very reason because you know if they if they dropped into the Europa League they could just play the reserves every week and go out of it as soon as possible or you know stay in it for a bit longer with the reserve team whereas now yeah they do have something extra to think about twice a week in, in, in the second half of the season Okay Elsewhere Spurs how on earth did they do that? <laughs> what? I mean a couple of games ago they looked dead and buried yeah. they were gone everybody was like oh haha Spurs is going to Spurs but now they're they're back. They're through. Yeah, I think Inter have a lot to answer for there. Don't oh, they? I think okay. they really dropped the ball. Yeah, the past few games. I mean, drawing with PSV was pretty inexcusable, really, wasn't it? I mean, Inter almost the Italian equivalent of Spurs. <laughs> you know, one of those teams you can always rely on to yeah. do something you know ridiculous like that. Um, impressive, nonetheless, though. Although a lot of people are saying it was Barcelona's reserves. Mm. Well, I mean, I didn't actually watch the whole game. I've only seen the highlights back. Mm-hmm. But by all accounts, Spurs were excellent. They were definitely, you know, raining shots in on goal in, in the, the last 20 minutes or so. I think I saw Guillaume Balaguer say it was the best away performance he'd seen at the camp now for God knows how long. So yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And he knows a thing or two about those in things. In the Champions League. Yeah. Or ever. Wow. Apparently Barca, it's, it's been 12 years since they lost, uh, since they didn't win their last group game, mm-hmm. which is a bit of an esoteric start, but interesting nonetheless. 12 years? Yeah. Wow. Do you know who the last team they lost to was? No, I don't. Oh, I heard it, but I forgot. It's my memory. <laughs> uh, Kyle Walker-Peters, 21 years old, mm-hmm. Champions League debut. Mm-hmm. It was Shakhtar. It was Shakhtar Donetsk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I think so. I think they lost 3-2. I'm sure somebody can get in touch with us if, we're, if you're wrong about that. <laughs> Could be wrong. I can always uh, be wrong. Kyle Walker-Peters, 21 years old, then gets a little bit schooled by mm. Dembele, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did a bit, didn't he? Yeah. Good goal, though. Yeah, it was a very good goal, yeah. The, um, the Dembele that we've not seen quite enough of since he went to Barca with that um, ability with both his feet. It's just... Uh, when he's in full flow it's a beautiful to watch isn't he apparently got fined 200,000 for turning up late for training two hours late he was as well wasn't he I mean it's a bit too much <laughs> being late two hours so he, he can he can pay that it's not a problem 200,000 yeah you don't fine. think that's a bit steep for 
It's not no. the first time. That's the problem. Sleeping <laughs> talking in? about a guy who's been. Uh, oh, it's the first time he, he made something like this. It, 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 he has a lot of talent. He has to learn from from his mistakes, and maybe money is the only answer for him. What did you use to make people do when they came late to the newsroom? I made them sing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I that think, would. Be. I don't think singing would fix this problem. I'd rather pay two hundred grand. But yeah, me too. <laughs> Uh, afterwards, Harry Kane insisted that Tottenham are genuine Champions League contenders. Anybody believe this? Does Harry Kane even believe this? Tottenham? Uh, I think he probably does. No, but I, I think he also kind of has to. I mean, what's he going to say? No, we can't win the competition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think players have to believe that and they have to say that, but I, I don't think anyone is seriously considering the possibility that Tottenham can win the whole thing. Okay, very good. Sorry, Tottenham. Um, Dan, Manchester City. Mm hmm. Easy enough win? Uh, it was quite difficult, actually. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, they went a goal I down. I just looked at the scoreline. <laughs> yeah, they went a goal down. Had to come from behind like they did against Hoffenheim earlier in the group. Um, it's struck Superb me last night. Yeah, it was. It was he's been practising them, hasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> It struck me last night, actually, that you sort of... Um, like a team like Hoffenheim there's a lot of teams like that in the Champions League of that kind of quality and when you when you see like City coming up against a team like that you think oh it'll be a straightforward win for them because in Champions League terms they're like the sort of Bournemouth or Watford of the Champions League aren't they mm -hmm. but they're actually a really good team one of the best teams in Germany mm -hmm. and there are you know no easy games in the Champions League and City have found that out this, uh, this group a lot, a lot of teams have found that out on, yeah. on this, this campaign so far Pep I mean, was impressed with Phil Foden yeah so he should be yeah he was really good was he good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah. will he be able to take the place of injured David Silva um, possibly yeah I mean I think De Bruyne might be back at the weekend possibly so um, Foden again slips down the packing order again unfortunately for him but, but he has signed a six year contract he has he? yeah okay. six years on the bench as Neil Custis put it <laughs> on Twitter the other day <laughs> very good elsewhere another defeat for Manchester United this team this time by a team 15th in La Liga Phil Jones is the first Manchester United player to score an own goal during a Champions League match since Phil Jones. <laughs> Back in November 2011 versus Benfica. And Phil Jones has now scored as many Champions League own goals as AC Milan. Very nice. He's also another star I saw. I think it was Richard Jolly who posted it. said that he's um, he scored uh, two own goals in the Premier League and two goals in the Premier League for United. And two own goals in the Champions League and two goals in the Champions League. Oh, Desmond. Yeah. Nice. Nice bit of symmetry. Nice bit of symmetry. Well, you know. Like his face, which is very if you've got symmetrical, OCD, isn't it? If you've got OCD, that will, that will work well for you. Yeah. You watch this game. Yeah, just one comment on Man United, which is it, it, it amazes me recently how, how crap they are in every single facet of the game. Because normally you have teams that are bad, but like they're good at one thing. So, for example, United, they actually have lots of big players and they have lots of physical players. They should be good at the physical side of the game. Yes. They're not. They don't even close down the ball. They don't even win 50-50s. Win they, they, they're, they're bad in attack. They're bad defending. They're bad in transition attack. They're bad in transition defending. Even their goalkeeper who's really good hasn't hasn't been great mm -hmm. uh, and that just came through for me yesterday that, that they're just really all around bad in every single way it's possible for a football team we, to be bad we talked about this a book before over the last couple of weeks but I'm genuinely shocked Jose Mourinho still has a job it's incredible uh, yeah I, I spend a lot of time trying to figure it out myself I think it, <laughs> it, it has to do like with, with a lot of fa com commercial factors and how the club wants to be perceived and 
personal power dynamics and things like that. But logically, of course, it makes absolutely no sense that that he's still there putting out that shite every week. And I can't see what he brings to the team right now. No, no, nothing else. I no, he, 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 he's, yeah. he's consistently made uh, he's made the atmosphere toxic, and he's made every single player in the squad worse than they actually are. I, I think he's an incredible really, achievement. Really trying hard to get sacked. That's that's what I feel from uh, every time he speaks to the media. He's just trying to get sacked. Every time he speaks to the players, he's trying to get sacked. He's trying to get sacked every single day. He goes to bed trying to get sacked. <laughs> I really no. It's a, in 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 some of my uh, most cynical hours, I wonder if he's really like a, a saboteur sent by I don't know Roman Abramovich or someone <laughs> just to, to to you know sink the whole Man United ship. These, these rumors of him going back to Real Madrid have made me laugh. I mean, I couldn't think of anything less likely to happen than Jose Mourinho going back to Real Madrid. Honestly, Mourinho. You know, he needs to take some time off. Yeah, sometimes to, to, to himself to do the things he like uh, in life. He doesn't like anything in life. <laughs> he's not he's not enjoying uh, football anymore. And go that's, and, that's dangerous. Go out and watch a movie. You know, catch up with friends. Maybe take a trip through East Asia or something. But he really needs to find himself. himself. Find yourself. Yeah. You know, hang out in hang out at a yoga retreat for a couple of weeks. Think about some new tactics, and then come back to us, Jose. You watched uh, the Galatasaray game. Yeah, I was. I was watching that. Um, was it worth your time? Uh, not much, uh, oh, to be honest. Okay. Uh, it was. A, it was an entertaining game. Um, uh, Porto were in- incredibly lucky because they they scored uh, three times in three shots. It's, uh, it's unlike you to think that Porto are lucky, Andre. <laughs> He's not biased. Yeah, honestly, uh, what what happened in this game in particular was uh, was uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. A, lot, a lot a lot had to do with three, um, three goals. With all lucky. Lucky. Yeah. Three shots on target, three goals. They they controlled the game uh, most of the time. Um, Gods that I were really trying hard to get something out of the game. Uh, they were a bit kamikaze sometimes, and they paid the price for it. Um, but Porto showed a lot of spirit and a lot of uh, experience in in the moment like this. Mm-hmm. And it's been something that it's kind of their trademark in Champions League so far. Mm-hmm. They they are they were the best team in the group uh, in the beginning, but no one was um, no one was expecting them to to win the group with 16 points. Mm-hmm. Which it is a, a record for them. Um, it's, they, they actually did the same in '96, '97. They they won the group with uh, with 16 points back then, but they did it again and they scored a lot of goals in the process. Uh, 15 goals, uh, only City and and PSG scored more goals than Porto. Uh, wow. CD 16 and PSG uh, 17. And 16 points is the most picked up by any team in the Champions League this season. This season, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, which also, it shows two things. It shows that Porto are a very good team. And it also shows that that group in particular was, it looked more like a strong Europa League group than, than yeah. actual a Champions League group. However, what they did is remarkable and and it gives them a huge boost confidence wise when it comes to the the, the next stage will they get Liverpool in the next round and get knocked it, it, might, it, might, yeah. it might happen um, given that boost and how well they're playing and all of that sort of jazz how far can they actually go in the Champions League well it depends on on what they're going to get on, on the, the draw on Monday um I, I honestly from the the, the clubs that are second place Liverpool is probably the only one that they should avoid at all costs. 
Uh, not because Liverpool, this Liverpool is incredible. I don't think they're incredible. They have two faces. When they play at home, they're incredibly powerful and dangerous. Mm. When they play away from home, they're, they've been frankly horrible this season. They lost three times away from home, which is something that you don't expect from, from Liverpool, a team that's supposed to uh, fight for the, the Champions League. Um, but they showed that in, in Anfield, they are incredible. It's probably the team that takes more from playing at home in you know in all competition in the in the Champions League. So if they can avoid um, uh, Liverpool, they can go through against any other contender. Wow, very good. Draw, as you say, is next Monday. Anybody want to name Dark Horse and a favorite for me? A favorite. <laughs> yeah, go for your favorite first. Well, in the beginning of the season, I was I was saying that uh, Juve and and City were the main contenders to win the trophy, mm-hmm. um, and I'm still with the Juve. Uh, with City, I'm not that sure because they have a problem at home with uh, with Liverpool. It's going to be they're going to be fighting for for the the league title and the Champions League at the same time. It might be a bit tricky for them with uh, Juve. They don't have that problem in Italy because they're going to win the league with uh, 25, 30 points. Okay. So uh, my you're going, you're going with Juve. My bad. I think Juve. Dan, I would go with Juve as favourites as well. Dortmund are my dark horse. Yeah, it makes sense. <sighs> you stole, you stole both of mine. <laughs> well, Juve was better. All right, I'll say City yeah. are the favourites then. <laughs> Juve and Dortmund, and you're going with Juve and Dortmund as well. Yeah, I just think Juventus have uh, have everything. They have the experience. They they've been there, done that, and they have Ronaldo now. I, I can see it being their time. And yeah, I think Dortmund have really impressed, and they're the kind of team that can do a bit of a Liverpool from last season and yeah. and make it quite far for sure. I, I would also like to mention Go one on. team that I, I watch all games and I really I really like them in all games. Leon Ajax. Oh, okay. I really like them. Uh, of course, it's a bit complicated for them because most of the of the team is like nineteen twenty. Um, so when it comes to a big, big moment, mm-hmm. you might see it on the pitch that there are just a bunch of kids that know how to play football quite well. But um, I, I, I really like the way they play. It's quite enjoyable to watch. Okay. Given how everything is going for Real Madrid, I'm almost 100% sure they're going to win it. <laughs> I just can't see it being... I can't be, see it being anything else. Now, last weekend, the team formerly supported by me, Atlanta United, won their first ever MLS Cup. Why, why formerly? I switched to LA this season. LA LAFC. I got blinded by the whole glamour black jerseys thing. You know. Oh. I'll go back to Atlanta. That's now that they've won. <laughs> now that they've won. I like to pick a different team every season. Just keeps it interesting for me. Uh, but it was just their second season. Tuna win over Portland. Deserve a champion, Stan, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Before we start talking about it, I just want to make some noise for myself because I'm normally very bad at predictions as, as, as we've seen. It would be exactly you remember the last time I was on the podcast who I said would be in the final? Yeah, I remember that. Was it Atlanta-Portland? Yeah. Well, when, Atlanta. When, when the final, when, I, when the, the two finalists were decided, I remember that. Oh, yeah. damn. Danny said exactly this. I'm a visionary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, question. Is it deserved? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the interesting thing in MLS is it doesn't happen every season that the, the best team in the league over the course of the season actually ends up uh, winning MLS Cup but it definitely happened this season they were they were phenomenal uh, throughout and played played some of the best football and uh, really thoroughly deserved to win Joseph Martinez 
Yeah, fantastic. Um, he was uh, the MLS Cup MVP. MLS Cup MVP, MVP of the, the regular season. And he also broke the record for most goals scored in a single MLS season. So I think uh, he'll be he'll be attracting a lot of interest for a return back to Europe. They just signed Peter uh, Martinez. This, this winter, yeah. I think it's in preparation for yeah. some some of those guys leaving, for sure. So uh, anybody else? I mean, he's obviously the Yeah, he's the one. The other, the other one yeah. you, you have to mention is uh, Miguel Almiron, mm-hmm. who also attracting a lot of interest from Europe. Uh, he had a, a tremendous season in Atlanta's first year two years ago and, and really followed it up this season with a very nice balanced mature mm. going uh, to Newcastle isn't it mature. we're hearing lots of Newcastle mm. uh, I think honestly I think that would be a good move for him I think that's about his level to to, to establish himself in Europe um, he's been compared to Gareth Bale I wouldn't say he's that kind of player okay <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't know who was doing might have been his agent to put that out there okay uh, it was of course Tata Martino's last game in charge yes he'll almost certainly take over Mexico Big loss for them? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, what he's done is really amazing. And uh, he's he's built, had to build the whole system from scratch, uh, bring in players to, to, to fit that system, incorporate them into that, create the culture. And he's really, what, what he's done is he's made a, a blueprint for, for, for the whole league, actually, on, on how to build a, a, a championship team that's both entertaining and effective. Really, really impressed. And this is where it gets interesting for me because I want to know who's going to take over. Alan Pardew has been spotted out there. Yeah, but also, as interestingly, uh, Bielsa has been linked yeah, with the I, job I've, as well. I've heard some absolutely ridiculous names, which I think is actually a good sign for MLS because somehow this job has like created this global job search. It's, mm-hmm. it's Somehow it's, it's kind of a big job. You know, you're managing a team that plays in front of 50,000 every week yeah. um, in a new stadium with some really nice, interesting players to work with. Uh, the most ridiculous name I heard was Arsene Wenger. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, wow! I think would be uh, would be wild. Uh, I think what they're going to do in the end is, and they've come out and pretty much said this publicly, is they want someone in the same mold as Tata Martino, which I'm reading to mean someone Latin with a little bit not of Alan flair. Pardew, basically, basically <laughs> not Alan Pardew. Yeah, Alan is many things to many people, but he's not Latin. <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to imagine Arsene Wenger hanging out in Atlanta. Knowing what Atlanta is famous for, and we'll get onto that in a minute, I just can't think that was that's Wenger's scene. He did, yeah, he's a bit more Japan than Atlanta. Maybe. A bit more Japan. Uh, a question for me, Danny, is can Atlanta kick on from here? Maybe do something big in next next year's CONCACAF Champions League? Yeah, I think that's really the next step for MLS uh, to, to put themselves on the global map is to, uh, they haven't won since I think 2002, the CONCACAF Champions League, which is the North American uh, version of the Champions League. It's, it's always Mexican teams. And to make it, to win that, to have an uh, MLS team win that and make it to the Club World Cup and play against the likes of, well, Real Madrid every year, uh, <laughs> uh, would, would be really big for the league, I think, and, and be a nice showcase. So I'm, I'm very much hoping that Atlanta can do some but damage. It's going to be really cool complicated considering yeah. the the rules of the league yeah. um, you the, the number of designated players you can have and also the salary caps which is something that doesn't exist at, in Mexico at all no Mexican teams are better there's no question yeah, about and, that and it's, have, it's still they can spend up. way more money than, than any MLS team so it's, it's really tricky for American teams to get there I was reading on wiki after the game that quote several Atlanta United players celebrated after the parade with a party at the Magic City Strip Club bringing the cup on stage 
Is this true? That's why Pardew fancies it. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. But let's just say that I've seen photos and videos of the MLS Cup trophy mm-hmm. in places and body parts where I never thought I would see the MLS Cup trophy. Goodness me. Um, a question from Dan. What type of keeper has his team bought in Zach, uh, Zach Steffen? I'm a huge fan. Um, okay. And he's got a really interesting uh, story as well. But I, I, he, he's basically, I think, his best attribute. He's a really, really good shot stopper. Um, super athletic, very agile cat-like reflexes uh, I think it'll be really interesting for him he's, he's clearly not going to come in and be anything close to the number one or I don't even think the, the reserve at City but just to be in the environment with Guardiola uh, even if he's not playing regular first team football and to learn from him about uh, not you know the other stuff the other side to goalkeeping not just the shot stopping uh, I think will be fantastic for him and I, I can really see him having a nice career in Europe even if it's not necessarily going to be at, at City He's the US number one. Yeah, he's established himself. Mm. Absolutely. And it's the largest transfer fee for an MLS goalkeeper. Is that right? Uh, I think it might even be for for an MLS player overall, or, or the second. But uh, yeah, seven billion US dollars is the reported fee, uh, and and that's a big, yeah, a huge uh, thing for MLS. As if well. Almiron is leaving, he's going to be way. Yeah, it's going to be more. Yeah. Okay, should we move on then? Let's do it. Okay. Elsewhere, for the second time in a matter of weeks, the Premier League has had to deal with another incident of racism in a high-profile game. It was, oh God, it was the banana skin that threw Obama Yang during the North London Derby. Police in Scotland have arrested two fans for allegedly directing racial abuse at Motherwell substitute Christman, uh, Christian Mbulu. And then there was this Raheem Sterling incident at Stamford Bridge on Saturday evening. Dan, what the hell is going on? It's depressing, isn't it? Yeah. It's so depressing. Yeah, I mean, it's not just those incidents you mentioned as well. There was last week a game between Brighton and Crystal Palace where there was homophobic chanting reported in the stadium. Um, even, I think, after the, the racial abuse that Raheem Sterling received, there was chance of Raheem Sterling runs like a girl at Stamford Bridge as well. So this sexism going on as well. It's, um, yeah, it's a real sad state of affairs. And my only hope is that this is a bit of a breaking point um, particularly for English football now and the people will start to think about the things that are being said in stadiums and think about their attitudes towards the, these kind of issues because it's just unacceptable yeah I, I mean I, I'd love to agree with you and say hey I really think it is yeah. a, a point that will make a difference I'm not, I'm not so yeah, sure yeah. about it. So here's my thing. I think it's, uh, first of all, absolutely applaud Sterling for coming out. And it shouldn't yes. have to be him leading the discussion, mm-hmm. having that burden in addition to being being the one continually uh, racially abused. But I, I don't see how uh, just by dis- having these discussions again and again, anything's going to change. I think the fundamental problem is that the, the, the people in charge don't want action because I'll tell you what would make a difference what would make a difference is uh, immediate lifetime bans for any fan mm-hmm. caught doing any of this stuff uh, um uh, stadium bans, so having to play the games behind closed doors for any club, any incident of this sort in any game at any club, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, docking points. It's easy. The, it's, I, I, it's I promise you. I promise you. Even these the the most racist of Chelsea fans would think twice about saying something if they knew that Chelsea were losing five points yeah. for, for 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 them saying something. And it's it, it, I I really believe that the it, the not the problem would be solved entirely, but that. It, 
that would be a great step forward in terms of addressing this issue. But nobody seems, it's it's the complaint that um, I think Kevin Prince-Botang has talked about quite a lot. No one seems to want to take actually concrete steps. Because you're going to feel like he hurts the business. Yeah, mm. it's it's really, really yeah, sad. That's the problem. What some of the clubs are doing uh, with anti-Semitism is that they've brought uh, fans to Auschwitz so they could hear mm -hmm. the story as well. I, I see your point, you know, make, you know, bringing in those concrete steps. And I, I think that's a brilliant idea. You actually really hurt the clubs like that. And then, and then we'll crack down it. But I think you need to couple that with, say, an education. Uh, addressing the root well. cause. Yeah, I think yeah. there's two sides. So there's yeah, one. There's a long-term solution. The, and what Danny's saying is right now. Yeah. And I agree with Right, but I think you need to couple the both the, together. There's yeah. clearly a cultural shift that has to happen, I think, in, in stands. And it's not just in England, by the way, not at all. Uh, in, in, in stands all over the world world actually uh, in, in, in football environments but that takes time mm -hmm. and I, I think like Andre is saying that there's steps that can be taken right away that won't at all solve the problem but will help that process help push that process along rather than just sitting here and, and discussing it the whole time yeah as, as Danny said Sterling's reaction was was exemplary yeah it was and yeah. what he had to say about the media but what he pointed out about the media bias yeah I, th I mean, I think the most remarkable thing and possibly the most admirable thing about it is the, the example that he chose was one that had nothing to do with him because mm -hmm. there were mm -hmm. hundreds yeah. of examples of horrible headlines that have been written about him, you know, specifically the one where he was criticised for buying his mum a house, obscene Raheem was the headline and all this sort of stuff. And I think, I mean, you've got people like Piers Morgan coming out on Twitter this week and, and sort of playing devil's advocate as, as he likes to do and mm -hmm. um, saying, well, how is this any different to the treatment that Paul Gascoigne or David Beckham got and you know they're white players what's the difference and I think like just because the headlines aren't sort of overtly racist doesn't mean that they aren't racist it, you know it sort of enables people to be racist and, and gives them fuel to, to criticise these young players and you know Sterling I don't understand the country's problem with Sterling at all. There was one guy who rang up TalkSport uh, on Monday night, I think it was, who was one of the people who were at Stamford Bridge nearby, but weren't one of the people being racist. And he said, uh, I just said to him that you're a, you, you're a disgrace to England. It's like, why? Whenever he plays for England, he, he's actually really good. Like, he got panned at the, the Euros or, uh, two years ago, or he didn't have a particularly good tournament. He got panned at the World Cup this summer. Why Why only him? Why, why is he the one that always seems to get singled out? I mean, this is, this is a guy who was raised in a relatively tough neighbourhood, who's made it, uh, I think he was a, a single mother? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. single mother. Yep. Has made his way from London via Liverpool to Manchester City to play for one of the best teams in the in the land, mm -hmm. not even in, in England, in the world. He's one of the best players in the team. This is the sort of person who should just be lauded. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and not only that, he goes about his business, I think, in a, in a really admirable way, and he's, he's a very strong character, and he he, he seems to be a, a very decent, well-rounded guy, just from uh, you know what we see of him. And, and and so, aside from the fact, it shouldn't have to be that you have to be a, a really great footballer to not be racially mm -hmm. abused mm -hmm. should be just that you're you're you're, you're a human being right. and a great human being at that and you know that should hopefully be enough yeah uh, according to figures from Kick It Out, reports of discrimination or discriminatory abuse in football increased 11% last season, a sixth successive annual rise. Ian Wright said it's going back to the bad old days. It really is a worry. Yeah. I mean, I think I think sport has always provided a window into society as a whole, hasn't it? And I think, you know, bigotry is on the rise in society all over the world. You know, you've got the rise of the far right everywhere. And it's just a byproduct of that, really. People... Racism never went away. People are just less ashamed to express their, their racist and bigoted views nowadays, and it's, it's very sad. 
But I will say one positive on kind of the flip side of that is if an incident like the one at Chelsea had happened maybe 15, 20 years ago, I don't even think there would have been a discussion about it. So at least the fact that now it's kind of in the public consciousness is maybe just looking a bit at the silver lining, something of a, a, a good thing. Okay. Elsewhere, podcast at onefootball.com is where you can get all your questions in, which is exactly, exactly, if I can even say the word, what Joel has done. He asks, can you explain Real Madrid? They're great in the UEFA Champions League, but a bit crap in La Liga. Why is this happening? Is this a Spanish style of play that's making them crap? I should say Joel wrote this question before, before Real Madrid's happened, yes. uh, yeah. record defeat. Well, in the, even even before the the incredible thing that happened yesterday, yeah, um, I don't think that Real Madrid were particularly brilliant in the in the Champions League. Okay, well, season. can you can you explain Real Madrid? Because that's quite a good question. That uh, when you look at Real Madrid right now, they're basically paying the price of. Uh, some very bad planning in the beginning of the season and it's not something that you can work out in, in just two three months it's going to take some time um, you mean letting Ronaldo go and and uh, the lack of action in the transfer market was mm-hmm. was absolutely disturbing yeah holding um, on to Benzema that sort of thing going for Lopetegui was also uh, something that we didn't understand we discussed that on, on the podcast uh, some months ago um, and that this Solari solution is is not ideal, but it's the one was uh, available at the time. And why is it, why is it not ideal? Because uh, I don't think Solari is going to fix Real Madrid's problems. It's not most of the problems are not coach related. Uh, something about it's more about the structure. It's it's the end of the of a project. It ended. They should have uh, started over, like a total reboot in, by the end of the season. Like when when a man like you mean Zidane, the, the cycle of the players exactly and, right exactly uh, the, the 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 team needs new faces. Um, they they also need. Um, they needed a coach with with a strong signature, and uh, and all the decisions they they made at the beginning of the season were highly questionable, and, and they're they're going to pay the price over over the season. It, 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 we all know that they're not going to win the league. Um, uh, the Champions League miracle might not happen again, and, and well, they always the, have Sergio. By Ramos. the end of the season, this could be a. It's, it could be a learning season for, for, for Florentino Perez, I would say. Wow. You know what it might be for Solari is? He doesn't play Isco often enough. <laughs> <laughs> that was that, one yeah. of me and yours favorite players. I, I really like Isco. Why is he not playing Isco? Uh, it was is it uh, just to annoy me and you? Uh, I hope so. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, Isco is, uh, as we all know, is a very talented, um, very talented player uh, with a very unique style. Um, some, some people don't like it. They like, you know, the the guys who run more and they're stronger on the pitch and all that stuff. Um, there are some rumors that Isco uh, were uh, it was a bit overweighted. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Also that, and and apparently um, Solari doesn't like the way Isco talks to him. It's it's like <laughs> it, it, it doesn't have the, the authority he wanted over all the players. Um, what, we, you would you drop a player over that? Like a, as good a player as Isco? I, a bit I would try to fix the problem instead of dropping players over yeah. these kind of, of, of things. This is something that happens quite often in a locker room. Um, if you're if you're a coach, 
and you've been coaching for quite some time, you, you're gonna have these bumps on the road. It's normal. Uh, what the way the way Solari talked about the whole situation on the press conference was uh, was not really clear. So it it was it, it was clear for everyone that it was uh, some kind of beef between the two of them, but he didn't, he didn't want to talk about it. And yesterday was that uh, I I don't know if you read about it or if you if you see it. No. But um, uh, Isco was supposed to get the the armband well, the uh, captain? as a captain, and, and he turned it down. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, he said that I'm not the I'm not the next one online for for for, for captain. Oh, Who is? Uh, I I don't know who was the guy, but but he, he said that I'm not the next guy on. on on, online to, to, to be captain of Real Madrid and a lot of people are just really pissed Real Madrid fans were all so, so pissed yesterday uh, about that but again it's it's the little things I, I don't think this is a major issue um, but Spanish media turns everything into a major issue right um, and uh, one of the good things that when Solari came in was uh, the, the, his biggest trump was not being Lopetegui <laughs> and in a way that all the, the pressure there was uh, and uh, in the club and the, all over Spain with the with the, with the media, it, it kind of it, it blew away for for um, some time. Uh, but uh, we can see we've, when we watch the, the the team playing right now that the problems are still there. Uh, it, I'm not saying that Solari is not uh, competent, not far from that. Is is doing uh, what he's supposed to do. Um, Real Madrid start beating teams that they were supposed to beat, mm-hmm. uh, but every once in a while uh, they they encounter some problems that remember us of the uh, the old times with Lopetegui. They 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 uh, were beaten three nil at Ibar in a, in a game that was. A, Absolute disgrace, <laughs> and and yesterday he decided to play uh, some reserves, and well, he didn't he didn't win. And Gareth well. Bale, and, and Gareth Bale got got injured again, uh, which is I mean it doesn't matter if you're listening to this podcast in 2025, <laughs> Gareth Bale is probably injured by this time. Um, <laughs> He's got to work on his golf game too. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, at the southern end of Spain, there is Sevilla. The capital of Southern Andalusia, famous for flamenco dancing and the Gothic Sevilla Cathedral, is the site of Christopher Columbus's tomb. I know lots about Sofia, but not so much about Kentucky. Uh, but what I really want to know about Sofia is Sevilla, Sevilla is can Sofia is can they fight for the title? Because they were top. I wish, I wish, I wish they can. Um, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> I like, I like, I like um, the way they play. I like, I like the coach. I like the philosophy, and uh, it would be nice to see a club like Sevilla fighting for the title with the structure they have. There's no Real Madrid um, this season, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm counting on Sevilla and Atleti to cause some troubles to Barca. Um, this Pablo Machin is a hell of a hell of a coach, and he he came from second division to European football so quick. It's it's really remarkable. He was with Girona. He was with Girona, and before that, he, he's from Soria, and he started at Numancia. It's, he was supposed to be a, a decent player for for Numancia, but he busted his knee when he was 23. Mm. So he just he quit the game and started studying to get a coach license, which he did right away. And then he coached uh, kids at Numancia, B team, and got to the first team. He saved the team twice from relegation, second division, which uh, at the time was kind of a miracle because the, the team they had was not great. And with Girona, they, they took them from second division to almost European football last season. 
season, wow. playing an incredible football, mm. which is the, the most important thing. When I see uh, Pablo Machin's teams, is the way the, the philosophy they have. It's it's quite a technique, quite beautiful. Um, the this season, a nice three five two. Yeah, yeah. A, a very nice three five two with two very open uh, wingers. Uh, Escudero on the left and uh, uh, Dan's beloved uh, Navas oh, on yeah. the right. Oh, revitalized <laughs> Don't Navas. Don't me of that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and uh, um, the, the, the three guys that usually play in the middle, um, they know how to treat the ball quite quite well. Uh, Frank, Franco Vasquez, Banega, uh, Roque Mesa, uh, sometimes uh, Sarabia plays there. So it's, it's I, re I really like to watch him play. He sort of reinvented Banega as a defensive midfielder, which is interesting. He started as a defensive midfielder. Oh, did he? Yeah, oh, it was okay. it was uh, like the the classical the deep lying playmaker yeah. uh, when he started, and now he's going back to to basics, and he does that really really well. And also the, uh, there's uh, Ben Yedder and Andre Silva. They're both scoring in almost every game. That mm -hmm. helps a lot. Yeah, the nice story about uh, Machine the day he won his first game with Girona, he celebrated by going to the cinema, and he was one of only two men sitting silently in the dark what did he see? I don't know what he saw <laughs> I just know he went to cinema yeah, there's one thing that is really important I wouldn't go to cinema by myself for, for Sevilla is that um, January is going to be a tough month for them because they play Atleti at home and then they go to Bilbao to play Atletic and and then they play Real Madrid away as well oh. so if they if they manage to get six points out of these three games they're going to be uh, still up there fighting for the title mm -hmm. they also need to fix a problem that was uh, something a classical problem for Sevilla over the, the last years that they were incredibly strong at home but they usually lost a lot of points away from home and this is starting to happen right now the last three games they played away from home they, they drew Real Sociedad nil nil, Alaves one one, and uh, Valencia one one. I'm worried they're going to run out of gas. They've been playing. Might, they've been happen. playing since July. Yeah, yeah, nonstop. And and yeah. uh, I think that um, they need probably to sign a couple of players so, so they can have like a um, a deeper squad. Uh, if they manage to, to do that, um, I hope they can they can stay up there and fighting. Okay, speaking of punching above their weight, Alaves and Levante, both in European spots right now. Yeah, that's it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, Levante is is one of those teams that they have some decent players. They have a good team, but they sh they shouldn't be <laughs> where they are. It's yeah, like completely yeah. uh, overperforming. And uh, I think that it's not gonna, they're not gonna stay there for quite some time because no. they're gonna play uh, Barça, Atleti, and Sevilla in the next six weeks. <laughs> okay, forget about that. Yeah, then. Uh, with that, with Alaves, it's even more incredible because um, the start of the season was absolutely fantastic. Even the fans, I remember seeing um, um, like a short talk with Alaves fans, and they were they were crazy, like what what the, what the hell has happened? <laughs> and uh, but um, the reality is, is knocking at the door because they. they They've been losing. Um, the last time they won a game was in November, oh. uh, beginning of November. Oh. So the last four games they lost three and they drew one. Okay. Final question for you, Javier Tebas and his project to play the Liga games overseas. Is it scuppered? Because Barca said, go do one, we're not doing this. Yeah, um, we all know the, the, the soap opera. It was probably one of my favorite soap operas this, this year. Um, 
You're big into TV. It's like a TV show. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an incredible. That, that was incredible. The idea of playing in Miami, the, the, the beginning only Javier Tevez, uh, the the president of La Liga. He really wanted to do it to to make La Liga big in, in the U.S. Um, he, he managed to um, seduce Girona and, and Barcelona to do it. A lot of backlash in Spain because uh, some people saw it as a Catalonia uh, kind of secession. Yeah, <laughs> just playing away from home. So that was the first problem. But since the very beginning, um, the, the the players or um, union they said this is not happening. So without players, they cannot play. So it's not happening. Okay. Then you have the uh, the Royal Federation saying it's not happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, all, even the referees said that they were not interested in it, and, and, and they really pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing it. Only Javier Tebas was pushing it um, with a little help from Barcelona. The last week, Barcelona said, "Okay, we're not interested anymore." So I don't think it's going to happen okay. anytime soon. No, but that can only be a good thing, I would say. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Well, that's all from us today. My thanks to Andre, Dan and Danny. And thanks to you for listening. Remember, if you want to send your questions in, the address to do so is podcast.wolffootball.com. We got it.